you want to take your Bibles again this morning and turn to the book of Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. This past week we saw a courageous man with leprosy as he called out and made himself known to Jesus. And most people would have considered this gesture very unwise because in doing so, he also made himself one who was deemed unclean known to the public. And remember, to be a leprosy in the days of Jesus uh, and having to go out before the crowd, if you happen to be in public where there was another crowd gathering, one had to yell out, if he had leprosy, unclean, unclean. So in his attempt to get the attention of Jesus, he was also making himself known to the crowd, which oftentimes would result in being stoned. So it was a very courageous act to make himself known. But however, we see that he had faith in Jesus, and Jesus was willing to heal him. As we left the message last week in the end of Mark chapter 1, we left with a couple of thoughts or questions of application. And the first one was this. Number one, when is the last time you honestly cried out to Jesus because you had a need only He could fulfill? Maybe you're in a situation like that. You need Jesus to work. You need Jesus to show Himself strong. You need Jesus to do something that only He can do. question is, were you willing to submit to Him this week? I don't know about you, but I'm a man. And as a man, I like to take care of my own problems, right? Anyone, any other guys? That's what we men do. We kind of, we have a problem. We see what we can do to fix it. And so uh, oftentimes, I know for me, myself, is that I want to deal, deal with it in every way possible as I think I should deal with it. And then when I can't figure it out and when I can't get it done, oh yeah, duh, maybe I should pray about this. But maybe you found yourself this week in a situation where you said, I need Jesus. I need God to show up. I need God to show himself strong. It's exactly what the leper did. Number two, just like the leper needed faith, we need faith to see God work. Um, we mentioned that if we are not seeing God answer prayer in our life, we have to ask the question, why? I've met many people who say, well, I pray and I pray and I pray and I just never see any change. I don't see any result. I don't see God answering prayer. And we said there could be a very logical realistic answer as to why god's word tells us in psalm 66 verse 18 if i regard or hold iniquity or sin in my life the lord will not hear me and so sometimes there is a sin wall that breaks us when there's sin in our life that we choose not to deal with we know it's there but we choose not to deal with it god says why should i answer your prayer that's what he says in psalm 66 18 so sometimes it's a sin issue sometimes it's a faith issue Remember in Matthew chapter 13, he did not many mighty works there, not because he couldn't, but because of their unbelief. He had all the power to do any miracle that he would choose to do, but he chose not to do it because, well, they didn't really expect him to. And sometimes we said, according to Hebrews, that, guys, you don't have a right relationship with your wife. And God's word tells us that if you don't have a right relationship with your wife, your prayers will be hindered. There's a little bit of motivation, guys. You want answered prayer in your life? You better show honor to your wives. That's biblical. So, just like the leper needed faith, we need faith to see God work as well. And then number three, the third thing that we left you with last week was the leper told everything, told everyone about what happened to him. When's the last time we shared our faith with anybody? Really? Seriously? When's the last time that we got so excited because God did something that he worked in our lives, he showed himself strong, and we said anything to anybody about it. See, sometimes we have this idea that, oh, my, my faith is private. 
Was it private to Jesus? Was it private to his disciples or his apostles? Was it private to all those who died and were martyred for their faith? You see, faith is not a private thing. It takes place privately, but publicly people see the result of it. And so if God has done something, we ought to be excited about that. Amen? We should be excited about what God's doing. Well, as we continue in our study of the book of Mark, Mark, we're moving into chapter 2, and we're going to see Jesus heal a paralytic or a paralyzed man. Uh, So let's read the story. So if you would follow along as I read just Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and then we're just going to kind of break it down a little bit and see what God wants us to see in this passage here. So when he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that uh, he was home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. In verse 12, immediately he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue in this study of the book of Mark, you know, it seems like we're seeing one miracle after another. And of course, the book of Mark really emphasizes him being a servant as he performs these miracles uh, in town to town and place to place, especially in his hometown of Capernaum. But let me just highlight a few things in the story. But right away in verses 1 and 2, the word is out. Jesus is finally back at home. And as we learned last week, he's probably uh, in Peter's mother-in-law's house where he performed a miracle and caused her to get up and walk and be able to serve others. Uh, but he's probably back at Peter's home. This is what place that he called home in Capernaum. And so the word is out that he's there. And here's what begins to happen here in the text. Remember in chapter 1, the entire crowd was gathering at the house there. Remember, and it was a peaceful gathering. According to the Greek language, the idea that they were coming in, the entire village was coming in, and everybody was kind of watching to see what was happening. They wanted to see Jesus do something. But something had changed from the end of chapter 1 into chapter 2. You see, the once calm crowd had become increasingly more rambunctious. And we see this, that they're gathering and they're they're elbow to elbow and they're foot to foot. And they're all just crammed in all the way up to the doorpost. And the entire area in front of his house was jam-packed. And the focal point of the crowd is Jesus as he preaches to them. And we see that right away in verse 2. It says, so many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word. So Jesus is there preaching, he's there speaking, he's he's teaching to them, and it is jam-packed. And everybody wants the front row seat, right? Everybody wants to get up where Jesus is. And the time had come when Jesus finally went inside. 
So he, he had to have been tired. I mean, this is a life that is just going, 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 going. And he's teaching and preaching, and he's healing, and he's casting out demons, and he's doing all these things. And he's finally, probably in all reality, very tired. And he moves inside the house. And we know that from the scripture. So here's what happens. Look at verse 3. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. The paralytic man and the men who brought him to Jesus. Four men were convinced that Jesus could heal the paralytic. Now think about this for a moment. When something needs to happen, how easy is it to get four people to go with you to do that task? Tell me that, guys. We say often, if you want to get something done, you've got to do it yourself. So somehow these four men are convinced that Jesus can do something here. So I don't know if the, 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 the paralytic you know, summed up these four guys. I, I don't quite see it that way. Maybe these, one of these four guys said, hey, guys, we got to get him to Jesus. He can do something about it. I don't quite know how it unfolded. But I know this. Four men brought this man to Jesus because they knew Jesus could do something about it, right? It's what we see from the Word. So four men were convinced that Jesus could heal this guy. They didn't need to be convinced. They were on their way there, and they were pushing and shoving, trying to make their way to the door, but there are so many people that they can't do it. And then you see the paralytic must have believed that Jesus could heal him as well because he allowed them to, to bring him in, right? I mean, can you imagine just for a moment the paralyzed man saying, no, guys, don't worry about it. This, this is ridiculous. I, I, no, I'm not doing this. Why? Because, well, I just don't think Jesus can. But that wasn't the case here. He allowed himself to be brought in by four other men. And we see that they're convinced that Jesus could take care of the problem. And, and let me just say this. If you keep your finger there in Mark chapter 1, if you look over to Hebrews chapter 11 just for a moment, or Hebrews uh, chapter 11 and verse 6, there's a key to this verse, to seeing God do things. It says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, it says, Now without faith it is impossible to please God. Just hold on to that just for a moment. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Why? Because it says, For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists, and he rewards those that diligently seek him. Now think about this for a moment. Why in the world would I waste my breath praying to God to do anything if I didn't believe he was going to do it? But how often do we prayerfully throw out a Hail Mary prayer, hoping that somehow God's going to hear it and do something about it? But he probably won't. Where's the faith in that? I mean, it's a long shot. I mean, God can do it if he wants to, but he probably won't. Is God going to answer that prayer? No. Not according to Hebrews 11. He says, because they that come to God must believe that he exists. Number one, do you believe that God is real? Do you believe that he's there? Do you believe that he's going to hear your prayers when you pray? He says, they must believe that he exists and that he's going to reward those that diligently seek him. Now, let me just say for a moment, don't misconstrue what the word reward means. It doesn't mean you're going to get whatever you want just because you believe he's there. Because God is sovereign, he can do whatever he wants. He doesn't need our permission, right? He can say no, and that's still a reward. Because he knows what's best for us. But let it not be a faith issue. Let it not be an issue of, I don't really believe he's going to. Let it be a trust issue. I trust him with my life, and I believe that he's going to do what's best for me. That's the idea. 
I believe that he is there. I believe that he is real. I believe that he's going to answer my prayer. But even if he doesn't, he's going to do what's best for me because I trust him. So we see that the paralyzed man must have had faith in Jesus to fix his problem. What was the means by which they got this paralyzed man to Jesus? Look at verse 4. I think this is amazing. Verse 4 says, Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Now think about it just for a moment. Four men climbed up on the roof of the house. Say, what in the world is going on here? Four men were crawling up outside of a house to get on top of the rooftop. Now remember, just in case there's any mis you know, misunderstanding here, their houses were a little bit different than ours. Their rooftops were used as another storage or another floor. And, uh, however, these four men, they go up to the top of the roof. They're trying to get to Jesus. So they, they climb up to the roof and think just for a moment, can you imagine the folks that are inside the house? What are the men upstairs doing? They're tearing apart the roof, trying to get in. What is going on? What would you be thinking of as your house? Everyone's looking around at each other, trying to figure out what this noise is, and someone's trying to break through the roof of your house. And all of a sudden, it breaks open. They're like, hey, yeah, we're coming in. What in the world? you got to think God has a sense of humor here in putting these stories in here. Four men trying to get to Jesus. They can't get through the doorway, so we're just going to go through the roof. We're going to rip apart and dig it open, and we're going to get in there one way or the other. You know what that tells me? They were, <laughs> they were persistent. They knew that Jesus could do something. You know what I find in my own life? I pray sometimes, and when I don't see an immediate result, what happens? I stop praying. These guys were persistent. They're tearing open the roof of the house to get this paralyzed man to Jesus. The four men lowered the paralyzed man into the room. What happens then? Well, I think Jesus gives two gifts to the paralyzed man. We see this in verse 5. So seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. I think the first thing, and I'm not going to emphasize it right here because I'm going to in just a moment, but the first thing that the first gift that Jesus gives this paralyzed man is forgiveness of sins. He says, Son, your sins are forgiven. So a lot of speculation in that verse and a lot of commentary. You know, here's a crippled man is coming, and there's an assumption that, well, he must have done some form of sin, and that's why he's paralyzed, and that's why Jesus emphasizes this verse. And, well, John chapter 9 tells us that's not always the case. It's not always because of sin that we have some type of malady or, or illness or sickness. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But the second thing Jesus gives him, the second gift is that he gives this man is healing. Forgiveness of sins and healing. You know, and here it is, verses 6 through 11. The scribes, the always encouraging, ever-present scribes. Not. The scribes questioned Jesus' actions. In verse 6, it says, But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming, and who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, they had that right. 
But we have to remember that Jesus was God in the flesh, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's one of the Trinity. He's down there. He is God. Only God can forgive sins. He had that right. Not a problem. But it was not blaspheming. Verse 8, he says, Right away Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? So, he's saying only God can forgive sins. Well, what does 1 John 1, 9 remind us? If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's right. Only God can forgive sins. Another man can't do that. I didn't sin against this other man. I sin against God when I do these wicked and evil things, right? Only God can forgive. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, another interesting verse. 1 Timothy 2, 5, it says this. For there is one God and one mediator, mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. Why? Because Jesus is the only one that died on a cross. He's the only one that shed his blood. And the Hebrews, once again, reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So it was when Jesus died on the cross, and he gave his life, and he shed his blood, that we can have forgiveness of sins. And the only one who is able to do that is Jesus Christ. So it says there's one mediator between God and man. Between man around us and God in the heavens, one man, and that's Jesus Christ. He paid the price. So we're reminded of that. You know, oftentimes as we come together as a family, a church family, we pray for one another, don't we? We pray for those who have sicknesses and people who are going through cancers and people who are uh, experiencing difficult trials in their life. We pray for those things. And I think it's right and proper and biblical to pray for those things. But I always follow it up with this statement. Our greatest needs are not physical. They're spiritual. Our greatest needs are not whether or not I get healed of cancer. My greatest need is whether or not I get the financial success that I need or want. My greatest need is not whether or not I fill in the blank. The greatest need I have is spiritual. How's my relationship with Jesus Christ? And just for case some of you have forgotten, let me explain how that works just for a moment. My relationship with Jesus Christ begins by when I put my faith and trust in him and him alone. Say, well, I believe in Jesus. Isn't that enough? Well, no. James tells us that even the devils believe and tremble. I don't think you're going to see the devil in heaven. But he believes in Jesus. What's the difference? It's called relationship. A relationship. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? See, the greatest factor in any relationship is what? Communication. That's it. See, when I have a relationship with somebody, I have communication with them. You know, if I didn't talk to my wife and she didn't talk to me, how great would my relationship be? <laughs> Some of you guys say it would be awesome. No, it won't. Every good relationship has good communication. And so, as we say often, communication is both giving and receiving of information. One talks, one receives. They respond back and they talk back. Communication is a huge factor in any relationship. And we say this. When there's great communication, there's probably a good, great relationship. If there's very little communication, there's probably very little relationship. 
Say, well, I believe. Let me ask you a question. How, how good is your relationship? How good is your communication? We'll say, well, this is with God. How does this is how God speaks to us. This is how we speak to him. Here's the giving of information. Here's the receiving of information and response to information. It's a two-way communication and relationship. So if there's very little communication, there's probably very little relationship. And that's the way it works in every relationship under the sun, whether it's between a husband and wife, whether it's between a, a parent and a child, whether it's between a, a worker and an empl employee and employer, right? There has to be good communication to have a good relationship. So how's your relationship with Jesus Christ? I love this. Our greatest needs are not physical, they're spiritual. So notice in the verse, there's two incredibly awesome, beautiful words. Um, John Phillips in his commentary on Mark highlights these two words. He says, the two beautiful words here are son and forgiven. Son. Son puts him into the family of God and forgiven puts him into right fellowship with God. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. So by calling him son, he's in the family of God. And forgiven means he's in fellowship with God. I love this. He goes on to say, the debt is discharged. The guilt is gone. The conscience is clean. The past is pardoned. And the record is removed. Forgiven. Isn't that awesome? That God can forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Isn't that awesome? I don't have to go to my dying grave with guilt of things that I've done once they are confessed on the altar because they're under the blood. And I love the word that's used here for the word forgiven translated from the Greek language means very, very simple, three things. It means to leave or let go. It means to give up a debt. It means to send away. Far deeper than any human forgiveness. We often say, well, I forgive you. One human to another. You're forgiven. But it seems as though we never forget. Right? I remember that time you... Well, just last week you... And we just have a hard time letting go of those things. It's far deeper than that with God's forgiveness to man. In fact, it entails two things in this Greek word. So it means the law and justice are satisfied. When he forgives, the offense is taken away. It is satisfied. It's been dealt with. It's no longer. That's why he can say in Psalms, as far as the east is from the west, so far have he removed our sins from us, right? It's gone. It's over. The debt has been satisfied. And number two... The second aspect of this word in the Greek means the guilt caused by the sin is removed and replaced with Christ's righteousness. There's no longer a guilt because of what I did. You see, the devil likes to use the guilt and the sinfulness of our past. He likes to keep it right up in front of us. You see, you're a loser. You're a sinner. You can't have victory. You can't. The devil wants to take and use those things. But God says, forgiven. In the past. Done over when we confess those sins they are behind us but we need to be careful too in 1st John chapter 1 I want to read verses 7 through 10 it says if we walk in the light as he is he himself is in the light 
we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Have we dealt with our sin? The first thing that Jesus says to this paralyzed man is, Son, your sins are forgiven. The scribes were often the enemies of Jesus. They were jealous. They were bitter. Uh, they were knowledgeable yet proud and arrogant they questioned everything jesus did and constantly found fault in him and the scribes were asked the question by jesus which is easier to say to the paralyzed man what's easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up take your mat and walk see here's the point anyone can say your sins are forgiven i mean any joe schmo on the street can say oh your sins are forgiven there's no truth behind it but anyone can say that. He says, what's easier? Well, of course it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Only Jesus can forgive sins and heal. And Jesus puts his reputation on the line. And here's the difference. Let's say the proof is in the pudding. Here's the difference. So that you will know. Look at verse 10. Isn't that awesome? Mark chapter 1. Look at verse 10. Or chapter 2. I love this. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Just so you know. Anyone can say your sins are forgiven, but just so you know that I have authority to do this, we're going to take it one step further. And you remember, I talked about the, the, the scribes and their pride and their arrogance. Here. Remember in chapter 1, they got ticked off. Who's this guy I think he is? We've never seen anybody speak with this authority. We've never, anybody's, we've never had anybody preach like this and do the miracles that he's done. There was jealousy. There was a lot of pride going on. Now Jesus says once again, just so you know, but so that you know to have authority on earth. I love this. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, Take your mat and go home. Isn't that awesome? Think about that just for a moment. Simple little story that God chooses to include in Mark chapter 2. He says, just so you know that I have authority, you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And here's the interesting thing. The word no, there's two different words for the word no in the scriptures. And this one is the word oida, meaning beyond a shadow of a doubt. In other words, there's not even a possibility of misunderstanding here. Not even a chance of misunderstanding. So that you will know beyond any reasonable doubt. So that you will know beyond a fact. Just so you know. Get up. Take your mat. Go home. And let me close with this. The crowd witnessed Jesus offer spiritual and physical healing. You know what happened next? The paralyzed man obeyed. <laughs> he simply obeyed. He got up. <laughs> and three things happened. And let me just say, just a thought here. What if he hadn't 
Come on, are you serious? I've been, I've been paralyzed. You really think this is going to... He didn't do that. He didn't doubt. He got up. What would you do? Well, you don't understand. I've had this for 20 years. I, I, I've been this way for a long time. Didn't matter. He got up. What would you do? Three things happened. Number one, the crowd was astounded. Look at verse 12. Immediately he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. See, this man, I mean, picture this just for a moment. Get in your mind's eye just for a moment. All these people are gathered around the house, and it's jam-packed, and the crowd is rambunctious. And all of a sudden, four guys get up on the roof, start chiseling their way through the roof, and they're lowering him down in there. And all of a sudden, this guy who was carried in is now walking out in front of all of them. Whoa. What just happened in there? Wouldn't you like to bend the fly on the wall in there? The crowd, according to verse 12, it says, as a result, they were all astounded. Number two, because of what they saw, it says they gave glory to God. Isn't that, or shouldn't that be the result of anything God does for us? Give Him glory in return? You know, think about this just for a moment. This is kind of a little rabbit trail. I'm just going to jump on it just for a second. If you have anything, it's not because you're just a great worker or you're a saver or you have this or have that because you're just smart. Every blessing you have, everything you own is only because of God's glory. He's allowed it. In fact, 1 Corinthians 4, I believe it is, says, Who maketh thee to differ one from another? Well, duh, God. Kind of rhetorical question. If you have something, if you are something, and we are not, but from a human perspective, you are what you are because of God's grace. And he deserves the glory for it. When they saw what Jesus did inside that house, that this paralyzed man who was carried in comes walking out, they were astounded. They gave glory to God. And number three, the crowd had never seen anything like this before. Wow. How do I know that? End of verse 12. It says, we have never seen anything like this. Think about this for a moment. This is a crazy day. Starting off with all these people gathering around and a guy being, you know, God's word doesn't tell us whether or not the guy ever came back and fixed the roof. I think that was kind of lost in the story somewhere. And trust me, there's always that one guy who says, why didn't he fix that? I can't believe he destroyed it like that. <laughs> that. That part of the story was lost in translation somewhere. But here's what I know. They did everything they could to get this man to Jesus because they believed that Jesus could change his life. They had faith to believe that Jesus could change his life. They were persistent. We're not going to let the doorway stop us. We'll climb up on the roof. We'll dig a hole through the roof. We'll lower him down in there. And Jesus, just, just to put any rumors at rest, just so you know that I am God and I have authority, your sins are forgiven. Now you, get up. Take your mat, go home. 
He comes strutting out. I mean, just think about this. This is awesome. And everybody sees that Jesus has just performed a miracle. And they're astounded. And they bring glory to God through because of it. They've never seen this before. You see, this story just takes on a new picture of life, doesn't it? God's powerful. He's awesome. And I come back to the similar set of questions as I did last week. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Do you have faith in him? I'm challenged by that. Okay, I'm the preacher. I'm challenged by it. Do I have that kind of faith to trust God? To do what only he can do. To see his power at work in 2017, in our day and age. Story still applicable today, right? We still need to see people, or have people around us that need to see Jesus at work. When's the last time you saw Jesus do anything? Here's what I know. The world needs to see him. They do need to see him, right? What are we doing about that? Still have that quiet little private faith? Don't talk about it in public. Shh. Or are we going to, with boldness, go out and say, you know what, I serve a great God. I don't know about you, but that's a challenge to me. I don't know that I'm paralyzed and I don't need Jesus to make me walk again. I'm walking. But I have other issues. So do you. What is it that Jesus needs to do in your life? He that comes to God must believe that he exists and that he's going to reward those that diligently seek him. Here's the question. Are you seeking him? It all starts by putting our faith and trust in him. That starts the journey. But it only grows after that. And it's an awesome journey, right? It's an exciting journey to see God at work. I hope you're seeing him at work. Let's pray.